Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. The entire month we've been talking about reclaiming the promises of God. Today I want to talk to you, and probably this is going to run into a few more weeks ahead of us, reclaiming the promises of the kingdom of God. And what that means, what it looks like, how that fleshes out to you and me on a daily, regular basis. Matthew chapter 16, the setting is Jesus takes his disciples from Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, which was his ministry headquarters, two day or three days journey, about 30 miles to the north up into the Golan Heights to Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the highest mountain in all of Israel, it's 9,100 feet above sea level. Typically, it's covered and snow-capped year-around. Mount Hermon is also a place of great pagan idolatry. At the base of Mount Hermon, there was a temple built to Pan, one built to Zeus, one built to Nemesis, a place of great idolatry and pagan worship. And in that mountain, there's a huge cave that descends into the belly of the mountain. And in that day and that time, that cave was completely open, since there's been an earthquake that's closed it off, you can only see about 30 foot into that cave. But at that time, it descended into the belly of that mountain. And legend and lore taught that that was the gate to Hades, the gate to the underworld, the gate to the dominion of darkness. So when you read this passage today, understand that Jesus has taken his disciples to a place to take up a position and to declare his authority. So look at me as we read Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, what do, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? And folks, that's the crux of your relationship with God. Who do you believe Jesus to be? Who do you say that he is? Is he just a teacher? Just a prophet? Just a miracle worker? Just a great man who said good things? Or is he the son of the living God? Who do you say that Jesus is? Simon Peter answered. Excuse me. So they said, verse 14. Some say Jer John, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say this also to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Where was he standing? He was standing right in front of what was thought to be the gates to Hades. He was standing right in the dominion of darkness. He was standing where the forces and the powers of paganism and hell were unloosed upon people on a regular basis. And he said to Peter, I'm saying to you upon this rock, upon the rock of your confession, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Oh, hear me today, folks. There is no force from hell. There is no plan from the darkness and the dominion that will ever su succeed against the kingdom of our living God. 
Jesus declared it. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then verse 19, often we stop right there because we like that part. It's a verse of victory. It's a verse of promise. But there's even more promise in the next verse. Look at verse 19. Because verse 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Here's my question. Do you have the keys to the kingdom? What are you binding? What are you loosing? Are you operating in kingdom authority? Do you understand what God has done for you and I through the kingdom of God? Father, in Jesus' name right now, add your mighty, powerful, present anointing to the preaching of your word. Let this word bring light, life, and revelation to the hearts and the lives of your people. Help us to pray today as Jesus prayed, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus said to the disciples after Peter's great confession, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I've read that scripture so many times and know it has great power, great authority, great revelation. But we want to unpack this over the next few weeks. I want to talk to you about the keys to the kingdom. What that means to you as a believer. How that's applied in our daily life. You see, I believe if you and I have the keys to the kingdom, we have access to the Father. We have an open door and an open line to God, the creator of the universe. We have the attention of God when we have the keys to God's kingdom. Second, I believe it means we have authority. Authority that's not of this world. Authority that we haven't possessed until we came to Christ and were filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. We have authority. And third, we have power. For the kingdom of God is power. I want you to hear that today. We're going to talk about that over the next few weeks. So when you think about the keys to the kingdom, think about access. It unlocks and opens doors. Think about authority. With the key, you can go in. And think about power. Because when you open the door to the kingdom, everything that God is, everything that God has, everything that God has willed, every promise that God has spoken becomes yours through the power of the living God. Oh, that's why Paul wrote it this way. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you and me. We're talking about access to the kingdom of God. How many of you ever had teenagers or have teenagers right now? It's a scary day when you over those car keys to a 16-year-old, isn't it? It's a scary day when you give them a 3,000-pound weapon to go terrorize the streets. I know you taught them. I know they took driver's ed. But I also know kids. My oldest son, Chris, his second car was a 67 Mustang. He loved that car. And he never missed an opportunity to stamp on the grass, spin the gas, spin the tires, and peel out. And it didn't matter where he was at. He did it in front of my house. He did it leaving the church. He did it leaving the school. I was always getting calls about this kid who's spinning his tires. Why? Because he had access to power. 
He had the keys to power, and he wanted to experience it. He wanted to walk in it. He wanted to see what that car would do. And he would turn that key in the ignition. That 289 would rev up and begin to roar. He'd drop it down into first gear. He'd pop the clutch, and away he would go. Because he had keys. He had access. He had power. Suddenly he could do And his driver's license gave him the authority. Is that scary or what? One little piece of plastic turns a 16-year-old into a tyrant. It's an amazing thing. He had access. He had power. Jesus, understand, gives the keys to the kingdom to people who fully recognize who he is and fully submit to his authority. You will never receive the keys to the kingdom until you recognize who he is and submit to his authority. We need to understand that when we submit to him, he gives us a role as a representative of the kingdom of God. He gives us access. Those keys, when we put them into the kingdom, bring ignition. You know, when you put a key in your car and turn it, you know what's happening? Your car is sending a spark to each cylinder, each spark plug. And as fuel hits that cylinder, that spark ignites the fuel. And all of a sudden, that engine that was just a hunk of metal comes alive. And power is roaring in that being. It's an amazing thing. Some people say, well, I think I can get the kingdom of God and its power by going a different direction. I can access it my own way. No, the keys to the kingdom are only given to those who recognize him as the authority. And who obey his principles and his commands. I know, I know how to hotwire a car. Well, I did years ago. I don't now. Barely know how to run one now. But I know you can take a couple of wires, brare them up, take the insulation off of them, spark them together, and that engine would start on the old vehicles. Call it hotwiring the car. But you know what happened every time you hotwired the car? You had another problem than you had before. There was another issue you had to deal with and fix. There are people who are trying to surpass the keys of the kingdom given by Jesus and hotwire the gospel. I'm going to tell you, it never works. All you do is create more problems. You need keys. You need access given by the master so you can plug them in, turn it over, and find the power of God working in your life. So I don't know about all that. I've never heard that. Well, read Acts chapter 19. There's these seven guys called the seven sons of Sceva. They saw what Paul was doing in casting out demons and healing the sick. The Bible says they were vagabonds. They traveled from city to city, exorcists, casting out evil spirits from Jewish people. And the Bible says they heard about Paul, so they came on a demon-possessed man, and they said to the demon-possessed man, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. They tried to hotwire the gospel. They're trying to circumvent and not have the keys to the kingdom. The Bible says that that demon said to them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the world are you? And he said on them, beat them senseless, stripped them of their clothes, and left them laying there bloody and naked. Oh, hear me. When you try to shortcut, circumvent, hotwire the kingdom of God, it never ends well. Because only Jesus can give you keys that bring access into the kingdom of God. So we looked at that word kingdom of God. What does it mean? What exactly is the kingdom of God? The phrase appears more than 80 times in the New Testament. So it must be important. 
The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So he's telling us the kingdom is not physical. The kingdom is not something that's manifested in this life in a physical way, but it's spiritual. The kingdom of God is within you. It grows in you, and his power resides in you as a born-again believer. On the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, Peter, who had received the keys to the kingdom, now catch this, he had access then, because of the keys to the kingdom, he had access to spread the gospel, to proclaim the truth to men and women in Jerusalem. And when he did, when God gave him that access, watch what happens. 3,000 men came to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. I don't know about you, but I want some access. I want some access. I want the keys to the kingdom that unlock the hearts of unrepentant sinful people and bring them into the kingdom of God. Interesting parallel. That was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was poured out and the new covenant become effective in the lives of men and women on planet earth. Backward. Back it up. Back it up. Back it up. Back it up. Go to Mount Sinai. Thousands of years before. Moses is on the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments. He writes them. God writes them with his fingers on tablets of stone. Forty days later, Moses come down and what did he find? He found a pagan party happening at the base of the mountain. He found that his brother Aaron had built a calf, an idol out of gold, and the people were dancing around it, reveling, partying, worshiping this golden calf as their God. You know what happened? On that day, catch me, this is important, listen, 3,000 people died because of their idolatry. Oh, but hear me, on the day of Pentecost, when God, Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom, 3,000 people were born into an everlasting kingdom, received the forgiveness, the grace, the love, the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come to tell you, when you have the keys, you have access. You have access. You have unsafe family members, pray for the keys to the kingdom. Pray for access to their heart and their minds. Pray for a supernatural anointing that will open the door that no man can shut, that will give you witness with them, that will give you audience with them, that will cause them to hear for the first time something that pierces their heart and turns them back to Him. Pray for access. Pray for access. If there's a kingdom, there must be a king, right? If there's a kingdom, there must be a king. If there's a kingdom and a king, there must be something in power, someone ruling over that kingdom and over those people. Paul says it's not physical, it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not measured in dollars and cents. Hear me, the kingdom of God is measured by the level of your obedience. You need to write that down and remember it. The kingdom of God is measured in you by the level of your obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, do what I've told you to do. If you love me, keep my commands. Too many, however, place too little value on the kingdom of God. I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking to you this morning. You place too little value on the kingdom of God. 
You don't understand the access, the authority, the power that can flow through your life when you lock into the kingdom of God. Or, this is what happens. We were raised in one particular strain of theology, and that strain of theology teaches us to keep our religion closely encased in ourselves. It teaches us that there are only so much we can receive, so much we can do in Jesus. And it teaches us that the power of God passed away, that all is good for now is salvation. I've come to challenge that theology and tell you it's straight from the pit of hell. It's stinking thinking. And it's time for you to understand the access you have and the value that's upon the kingdom of the living God. Don't you pull away because you're afraid. When you're uncertain, you need to press in. When you don't know what's happening, you need to seek God. When you're uncertain about some display or emotion or action or attitude that's happening in the church, you don't need to draw back and say, that's not for me. You need to run in and say, God, I don't know what's going on there, but give me some of that. Give me some of that. We need to value the kingdom of God. One of the greatest stories that you'll ever read in the scripture about valuing what we've been given is in Genesis chapter 25. It's the story of the sons of Isaac. There were two of them. They were twins. Esau was the oldest, the firstborn. Jacob came out of the womb holding on to his heel. His name was supplanter, deceiver, Jacob. The Bible says that Esau was a man of the woods, a man of the forest. He was a hunter. Jacob was a man of the house. He tilled the ground. He didn't roam far and wide. And one day Jacob cooked up this great bean soup. I can't even imagine that, but I'll just take the word of the scripture. Great bean soup doesn't go in the same sentence, does it? Great bean soup. Esau came in, he was starving. He was ravished. He was out hunting. He had nothing to eat. And he said, brother, give me a bowl of the soup. And Jacob, because he was the deceiver, the supplanter, he said, no, I won't give it to you, but I'll sell it to you. I'll trade it to you. You know what happened? Genesis 25, you can read it there. Esau said, okay, what did he trade? He traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. He traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. He said, well, that doesn't mean anything. It means everything. Because in that culture, the birthright meant he became the authority in the family when his father died. The birthright meant he received a double portion of his father's inheritance. The birthright meant that he became the priest over the household when his father died. In an Abrahamic covenant, the birthright meant he had the right to possess the promised land. And every blessing of the covenant that God gave to Abraham would become his when he received the birthright. But Esau undervalued his birthright. He undervalued the gift he was going to be given at the death of his father. And as a result, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And man, that soup tasted good. It filled him up. It satisfied him. But you know what happened four hours later? He got hungry again. He wanted some more soup. And then he got mad. Because something triggered that thick head of his that... He had just been fooled. He had just been tricked. His brother did what his brother does, and he cheated him out of his birthright. 
Listen to me. When we undervalue the kingdom of God, we quickly trade the principles, the power, the presence of God for a momentarily feel-good feeling. We trade our birthrights. We trade the kingdom for something that has no value, for something that will not satisfy, for something that will not last. What did Esau do? Write this down and remember it. He sacrificed the important at the altar of the urgent. He sacrificed the important at the altar of the urgent. He sacrificed the greatest gift he would ever receive for a full belly that lasted a few hours. And then it was gone. How many of you, how many of us have been guilty of the same thing? How many of us have devalued the kingdom of God to the point we will sacrifice it for a moment of pleasure? For a moment of contentment? For a moment of satisfaction? For a moment of fulfillment? How many of us have so devalued the kingdom of heaven that we want to live as close to hell as we can and still get into heaven? How many of us want to live as close to the world as possible and still somehow slip in by the skin of our teeth? I've come to tell you, friend, the end never justifies the means. You cannot devalue the kingdom of God and receive the blessings of God in your life. It's absolutely impossible. We live in an age of instant gratification. We want it. We want it now. We don't want to wait. I want that new car, not a problem. They'll put it on a seven-year term, and I'll be in debt for seven years. But then in three years, I don't like that car anymore. So I go down, and I trade it in, and I'm upside down on it. I owe 30000 I trade it for another one, and now I owe 40000 And I'll be another seven years paying it off, and in three years, I won't like it anymore, and it just keeps growing. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Instant gratification. We sacrifice the things of the kingdom. Let me get real. I love this gal. I've heard this. She's so fine. If she will just marry me, she'll make me so happy. Well, let me ask you a question. Does she know Jesus? Oh, no, but I'm going to lead her to Jesus. Let me tell you where you're going with that. You aren't going to lead her anywhere. She's going to lead you straight to the pit of hell. And you thought your life was good, but you realize the end doesn't justify the means. And now all of a sudden, you sacrifice the important on the altar of the urgent. And you find yourself living in hell because you sold out principles of the kingdom. Love the way you're shouting now. So often... We're so hungry for the wrong things because they bring us a moment of gratification. Esau was happy when he was full. But when the hunger pain started again, he was mad. He wanted to do away with his brother. He wanted to do him in. See, listen, write this down. If the kingdom of God is not first in your life, it doesn't matter what's second. If the kingdom of God is not first in your life, it doesn't matter what's second. Because if the kingdom isn't first, you will never walk into his fullness, into his power, into his presence, into his promise, into his blessing, into his favor. If the kingdom of God is not first in your life, it doesn't matter what's second. Doesn't matter. You're always going to feel cheated. You're always going to feel stepped on. You're always going to feel left out. 
You're always going to feel like the black sheep if the kingdom isn't first in your life. Why do you think Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these things shall be added or given to you. What was he talking about? He's talking about what we need in this world, earth. He's talking about food, clothing, shelter. He said, I'm going to take care of you if you put the kingdom first. But if you don't put the kingdom first, it doesn't matter what's second. It's not going to work out for you. Listen to me. God isn't interested in your success. God is interested in your heart. God isn't interested in your achievement. He's interested in your obedience. The kingdom of God is a paradox because through the utter ugly defeat on Calvary, when Jesus died, through that utter ugly defeat came the greatest life, the brightest light, the most eternal hope that's ever been given to mankind. Because he didn't stay dead, but on the third day, he rose again from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave, leading captivity captive, and taking us into a place where we can walk in his power. You say, well, that's kind of abnormal. Doesn't make sense to me. Why do I have to die to live? Because that's the law of the kingdom. Why do I have to give to get? Because that's the law of the kingdom. Why do I have to lose to gain? Because that's the law of the kingdom. If you're not going to follow the laws of the kingdom, the kingdom is not in you. And if the kingdom of God isn't first in your life, it doesn't matter what's second. It doesn't matter what's second. You say, well, that's abnormal. That makes no sense. I know. That's a great thing about it, isn't it? We aren't called to be normal. We're called to be abnormal. And some of you are a lot more abnormal than others. I'll tell you that right now. We're called to be abnormal, set apart, world changers. Matter of fact, we're not meant to fit in. We're meant to stand out. Don't you mistake me for those other heathens riding motorcycles. I'm not one of them. Don't you mistake me for those guys doing things they hadn't ought to be doing. I'm not one of them. Oh, come on. We're not called to fit in. We're called to stand out for the kingdom of God to rule and govern our lives. Bring changes. Peter said it this one, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you've been called out of darkness, would you shout hallelujah? hallelujah. I've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. He wanted to say you were once not a people, but are now the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but you've now obtained mercy. We aren't called to be normal. We aren't called to fit in. We're called to stand out. Because that's what the kingdom does when it's at work within us. You see, believers, oh, listen to me. This one's going to blow your mind. Believers were created in Jesus Christ, born again by the Spirit of God, had our sins washed away to become agents, listen to me, to become agents of uncertainty. What does that mean? It means that while I walk among the world, they're going to say, what's up with that dude? I don't get him. I don't understand that person. 
How can she say those things when her life is as rotten as mine? How can he smile when the doctor has given him a death sentence? How can he walk through those financial hardships just like I have, but head held high, moving forward, not looking back? Oh, come on, somebody. We are called to make the world uncomfortable, not to fit in. The kingdom of God is a different pattern from the pattern of this world. Look at what's happening in Washington, D.C. It's a bunch of nonsense. Why? Because man doesn't understand how to govern outside the wisdom of God. Look at what's happening with COVID-19. Oh, if you'll wear a mask for a month, that's all going to be over. Then if y'all get vaccinated, it'll all be over. Now it's wear two masks and it'll all be over. Now the darkest days are yet ahead of us. Listen, man has no solution to the judgment of God. All he can do is keep moving the goalpost because he can't fix it. He can't stop it. He can't remedy it. But I've come to tell you today, when you're a part of the kingdom of God, you don't worry about COVID. You don't worry about the China virus. You don't live in fear. You stand straight. You stand tall. You walk through the valley of the shadow of death, declaring, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Oh, somebody... Give him some praise. Hear us. You cannot circumvent or overcome the plan of God. But when you're in the kingdom, when you're in the kingdom, when you're in the kingdom, there is a veil. There is a layer. There is a hedge that surrounds you. You say, oh, does that mean I'm not going to get the China virus? No, it doesn't. Rains on the just and the unjust. You very well may, but this is what it means. You're going to walk through it. You're going to rise above it. You're going to live as a conqueror. You're going to say, that thing tried to get me, but look what God has done in me. How God has healed me. He has strengthened me, and I'm moving forward, and I will not live in fear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's pretty good preaching, whether you know it or not. kingdom of God is different from the pattern of the world. Here's the challenge. If we're a part of the kingdom, if Jesus gave us keys to the kingdom, then we need to live in such a way that our life provokes questions which only the gospel can answer. How can you be at peace? Oh, you haven't heard? I serve the Prince of Peace. How can you be at rest? Oh, you haven't heard? He gives rest to the weary. How can you live in confidence? Oh, you don't know? Peace I leave with you. Peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Oh, somebody needs to hear it this morning. You have been bound in that stinking fear way too long. The word Pastor Chris gave during worship, it was for you and you didn't receive it. This is your opportunity. You need to receive it right now. You need to stop fearing, throwing pity parties, costering yourself, acting like you're going to die if you get around people. I've come to tell you today, listen, I'm going to say this specifically, and I want you to hear it. There are people in our church who've had COVID, but they got it out there. They got it out there. I'm not bragging. I've been weighing this statement in my heart for months and months, but today is the day to say it. 
There has not been one single case of COVID originate from this church. Why? Because we don't live in fear. We walk in faith. We believe God covers us. We believe his blood is pervasive. We believe he heals and delivers and saves. Oh, somebody come on. Quit staying away from the house of God. This is the safest place you can be. I need to say that again. Stop staying away from the house of God. This is the safest place you can be. The safest place you can be. Come on. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will come into his courts with praise. I will give thanks unto him and bless his name forever. Hallelujah. Take that, Dr. Fossey. Live in such a way that your life brings questions that only the gospel can answer. Do you remember what happened in the Philippian jail? Paul and Silas were beaten. At midnight, they were in stocks, chains, bound, and they began to sing praise. And when they begin to sing praise, the Bible says a great earthquake shook the foundations of that prison. Every door flew open. Every bond fell free. The jailer ran in thinking they'd all escaped. He was going to kill himself. Paul said, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And then what was his next question? What must I do to be saved? Live in such a way that your life brings questions that only the gospel can answer. The world is filled with man's opinion, filled with man's wisdom, filled with man's ideology. But the world is longing for a church who will live kingdom principles and live in such a manner that they say, how is that happening in you? How is that happening in you? Jesus has the keys. He's given them to you and me. The keys represent all power, all authority in heaven and earth. Listen, every enemy of his, he has power over. Every power of principality, he has power over. Every ruler from the kingdom of darkness, he has power over. Everything is under his feet. Now, here's the good news. When he gives you the keys, he seats you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So that in that position... With that newfound access and authority and power through the keys to the kingdom, you have power over every enemy. You have power over every demon from darkness. You have power over sin-sick disease brought about by the enemy and the sin in man's life. Oh, it's time to recognize we have access because of the keys. Keys to the kingdom bring access to believers. Access to every spiritual blessing. Colossians 1, 3, what did Paul say? Or 13, he said, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. <laughs> I love that. I don't know about you. I can say I've been rescued. I've been rescued. Listen, you know what the devil does? He traffics people. That's what he does. He traffics people. 
He manipulates you. He binds you. He controls you. He forces you to do things that are not good for you, that are harmful and destructive to you. But oh, when you come to the king, when the king sets you free, when the king forgives you, when the king gives you the keys, suddenly that one that was always on your back is now under your feet. And you can say, you have no dominion over me. You have no power over me. You have no authority over me. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I have access. What did Jesus say in John chapter 14? Verses 12 through 14. Put it on the screen. I want him to see it. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll never accomplish. He's not good enough. The works that I do, they're going to end when I'm gone. That's not what it said, was it? That's the way many translate it, interpret it, apply it. He said, the works that I do, he will do also. But not just the works that I do. Look to the next phrase. Oh, come on, somebody, get ready to shout. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask, the Father in my name, the Father will do it. So the Son can be glorified in the Father. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. That's what he said. When you have the keys, you have access to authority and to power, to dominion and might. You see, the work of healing, it's not my work. It's a work of faith in Jesus Christ. The work of deliverance, it's not my work. It's a work of my faith in Him doing what He said He will do. It's not by my works of righteousness that people see Jesus. But rather it's by the righteousness of God in me creating good works that people see Jesus. Write it down. Remember, our works do not generate righteousness. Rather, righteousness in Christ generates greater works. Access means looking forward. Looking forward. Knowing there's something on the horizon that's coming to me. Knowing that there's a promise that's about to be fulfilled. Knowing that there's a hope that is certain and sure. Knowing that I serve a God who's never late, who never fails, who never circumvents his plan, who never disappoints his children. Oh, I'm here to tell you, access means looking forward. Well, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward, hear me, I'm looking forward to the day when this room is not set up for social distancing and we don't have 200 or 250 in here, but it's packed to the gills because people know there is a God who's moving in all nations. There's a Holy Spirit who brings fire and power and lives are being delivered and changed. And they know that, not because they just dreamt about it, but because you told them. Because your life brings questions which only the gospel can answer means looking forward when we understand access we change our battles we quit fighting about things that aren't important or relevant don't matter we change our battles we understand when we have access and the keys to the kingdom we wrestle not against flesh and blood i'm not fighting with you I've had people say some of the most vile things to me, and I just smile and walk away. I'm not fighting with you. You're not my enemy. Maybe you want to be, but I'm not going to let you be. 
If you want to be bound in your own stupidity and unforgiveness and hatred, that's on you. It's not on me. See, we've got to come to the place where we pick our battles, we quit fighting with each other, and we recognize that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wicked places. That's who we are fighting. We're fighting the devil and his henchmen. Not Joe and Sue and Sam and Sally. Access means we look forward. Change the battles. And then we change our weaponry. See, the words aren't enough anymore. My words won't cut it. My words won't win the battle. So I changed my weaponry. If I'm going to fight the devil, I better have some tools that will kill the devil. If I'm going to set demons to flight, I better have some tools and some weapons that will cause them to run. 2 Corinthians 10.4, for the weapons of a warfare are not carnal. Oh, come on, listen to this. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Got any strongholds in your life? Change your weapons. Watch what happens. The stronghands are going to come down. They cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. When we have the keys, when we have access, we change our battles. We don't fight with each other anymore. We fight with the devil. And I got news for you. Well, horns on the head, he's doomed. It's over. He's already lost. He just hadn't got the telegram yet. He hadn't read his mail yet. He doesn't know. It doesn't matter what he does. King Jesus is victorious. He is alive. He's conquering. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's laying to, to not every plan of the devil. Access means looking forward. Look at, write this down and remember it. I'm about to be done. Those who look behind, those who look behind will never see the beyond. Those who look behind will never see the beyond. When I have access, I see what's coming down the pike. I see unseen things. I see in the realm of the Spirit. I see the promises of God. I see the hope of glory. I see victory at every front. When I have access through the keys to the kingdom, I'm not looking behind, but I'm looking beyond. I'm looking beyond my problem. I'm looking beyond my sickness. I'm looking beyond my diagnosis. I'm looking beyond my heartache. I'm looking beyond my relationship issues. I'm looking beyond my financial needs. And I am seeing what God has already unveiled and is rolling down the pipe to meet me and bless me with all oh, the favor of God chases us down when we have access Jesus said I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven are you using the keys that he's offering are you living in access What are you binding? What are you loosing? Some of you need to bind that self-pity. Kick it out of your life right now. Some of you need to bind that negative thinking. Kick it out of your life right now. Some of you need to bind that destructive attitude. 
that leads you to failure again and again and again and kick it out of your life right now. And you need to loose the will, the power, the presence of Holy Spirit into your life right now. You do that by saying, Lord, I'm yours. I want all you have for me. No more limits, no more borders, no more boundaries, no more constraints. Everything you have for me, flood me with right now. Stand your feet across the room this morning. What doors have you unlocked with the keys? And what doors have you locked with the keys? See, this is a moment where you and I decide, we just heard a message, or we decide, I heard a call to action. We decide life's going to be just like it's always been because I'm cutting out and going to the cafeteria, or we decide I'm going to press in. And I'm going to say, God, I need to lock some stuff, and I need to unlock some stuff, I need to bind some stuff, and I need to lose some stuff. And when I do, when I take the keys that you have given me, access and authority and power are going to flow into my life, and I will be changed from the day forward. As Tom sings it, that's you. I just talked to you. Step out and come. You're online. I just talked about you. Stand up right where you're at. That living room, that den, that kitchen, where the office, wherever you may be. Driving down the road in the radio, that's you. Pull over to the side. Throw your hands in the air and say, Lord, I want to loose some stuff in my life. I want to bind some stuff in my life. I want to live the principles of the kingdom. I want my life to always bring questions that only the gospel can answer that's you step out and come as Tom sings you made it to the end of the message and now what is God leading you to make a change are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.